and welcome to another episode of the Wrong Football Podcast. My name's Dan, I'm here with G, the editor of wrongfootball.com, and we're here to talk all things American football again this week. Hello! <laughs> uh, we're down to just four teams uh, who still have a chance to capture the all-important Vince Lombardi trophy, but to get there, we've gone through one hell of a division a week. Well, uh, we'd obviously thoroughly recommend you going back and watching them. We are here to catch you up on uh, all the latest action from the latest round of games. But uh, before we do, how you doing, G? Did you, did you enjoy the games as much as I did? I did. I, I thoroughly enjoyed... Um well the three competitive games and it wasn't like the other game was unwatchable and one of them had such an amazing finish that it even hit the headlines over here it certainly did it was uh, it was incredible we'll, uh, we'll get onto that in a uh, in, in a little while we're going to do uh, news this week is a bit of a again a bit of a well, a bit of a round robin i suppose of all of the, uh, the of some of the points that are uh, coming out at the moment so we're, a yeah. feast of delights to tempt your nfl taste buds <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the uh, with the coaching situation because uh, this this time of year uh, is when a lot of coaching situations are uh, all up in the air. Uh, first of all, we're looking at the uh, at the Titans um, went out obviously this week. Well, we, we'll get onto more of that of that in a in a little while. But Mike Malarkey has uh, has left his role as Titans head coach. He apparently, couldn't agree terms. Yeah, it was one of those ones where last week after they won a playoff game, they came out and said we support our head coach without actually saying he's our head coach going yeah. forward um, I believe he was out of contract and they couldn't come to terms I'm assuming that what happened was that they wanted to, to fire people that he wasn't comfortable firing with and mm. yeah they weren't happy I basically I think this is based around the play of Marcus Mariota and how the offense is looking yeah I think you're probably uh, I think you're probably right there with uh, with that uh, assumption is um, the, the the other one that's uh, one one that did kind of kind of stri- uh, strike me as a uh, a bit of a well, I was I wouldn't say shock, but uh, the Texans coach Bill O'Brien, he's been given four more years, hasn't he? I mean, that's a real statement of intent by the Texans, it, it um, is. given that the relationship with um, the GM who's had to step back, Rick Smith, was not great. That that's that seems to be a real doubling down on keeping O'Brien, who yeah. has been very up and down with quarterbacks. Now, obviously, um, I'm guessing that what they're saying is is look what happened with Deshaun Watson. We've got our quarterback, and that was working so well, but we have faith mm. in you in the future. But yeah, it is definitely a declaration of intent going forward. It certainly is. Well, elsewhere, looking at a couple of potential hires, ones that haven't actually crossed the line yet. Um, as well, as far as I know, they haven't crossed the line. Giants uh, and Pat Shermer as their as their new head coach. Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult to announce a head coach when they're still, you know, coaching a team in the yeah. playoffs. It, it, it the sort of starting gun goes off at the end of the season because everybody wants to get things in place for um, the off season and the uh, draft. But it does feel a bit of a disadvantage both to the good coaches who are working with playoff teams yeah. and those doing okay in the playoffs because you know they're suddenly behind the eight ball and coaches are already being hired. Well, that's like, like the Kyle Shanahan thing, I suppose, from last year. Yeah, very much so. Where it was sort of like an open secret that he was going to, to the Forty Nineers for weeks. Yeah. Um, in terms of Pat Shermer, he's had the job before, and I must admit, he was one that I was half eyeing up back when I thought the Bengals might be getting a new head coach. Just because I, this is going to shock you, because I love defense. Oh, go on, statistically then. speaking, um, offense is more reliable season to season than defense because there's less mm. randomness involved in them being good. And so I'm beginning to wonder whether you whether you are better off with an offensive-minded head coach that can keep that like fat side of the ball steady than a defensive-minded head coach. Yeah, well, I think you're absolutely right, and that's perhaps what the Colts are doing as well. Colts, Colts are uh, looking at the the, the current. Um, 
Patriots offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels. Yeah, I mean, what I like about Pat Shermer was that his defense was, sorry, his offense seemed to be very well schemed, as well as making the best out of um, the whole quarterback situation with some very good receivers. The Obviously, both Patriots coaches uh, or coordinators have been heavily touted for a number of years, and this does look to be the season where it looks like both of them could be going. It certainly could be. It would be, uh, yeah, it, it certainly could happen. Um, you've got a new O line coach yourself, haven't you, in uh, in Cincinnati at the, for the Bengals? Yeah, somehow the Bengals have picked up the Dallas O line coach, which mm. um, I'm pretty happy about, given the way their offensive line has played in recent years. Now they've invested a lot of picks, so you know it's not like you can take. Um, bad players and make them good but I, I certainly it was certainly a hire that caught my attention yeah well I'm not I'm not surprised it's uh, any any hire for your own uh, your own team as well you you I think you sent me a, a link didn't you making me aware of it yeah I mean <laughs> I, it was just it, it was one of those yeah it's the, the, the whole off season of hope thing hitting already because yeah. it's just like wow you, you know coming from a franchise where the offensive line has been um very good in recent years it felt like an exciting hire I mean the other thing is that the Bengals haven't changed defensive line coach um, I think since I, I sort of really started following them on the internet yeah well uh, there's, there's there's both a new offensive and defensive coach in, in Green Bay isn't there yeah, um, Mike Pettin. I mean, there's, is, is coming in as defensive coordinator, and the Packers have been um, there's been worry about Dom Capers as, as, as their coordinator for a few years, mm. and so he's finally gone. And um, I think Pettin struggled as as a head coach for the Browns, but I do seem to remember him really coordinating good defenses um, under Rex Ryan up, up with um, I can't remember now if it's the Jets or the Bills, but I remember him being an impressive coordinator. So I think, I think it was that the Jets. could be a good hire. Yeah, I think it, I think it was the Jets off the top of my head. Uh, not sure though, but Joe Philbin is uh, is going in as their as their offensive coordinator as well, isn't he? That's that's a uh, a coach I know a little about. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would your be opinion? Because it's sort of a name I recognise, but I'm just wondering uh, what you made of him as a coordinator. Uh, well, he was he was a head co- he was Dolphins head coach for a, for a, for a season or two. Yes, um, he was. I think I think he was ousted just after the after the Wembley game against the uh, against the Jets. But I, I was. I was never overly impressed with him. He wasn't wasn't the most positive of of of, of, of people, which is probably why I'm a little surprised he's gone in as 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 offensive offensive coordinator in Green Bay. Well, the thing is though that um, he's he's offensive coordinator, but Mike Malarkey is going to be the one I would imagine um, pulling the strings oh, on that definitely. side of the ball. Yeah, so absolutely. it's one of those odd ones where you're never quite sure how much of a head of the play calling in duties the head coach has given up and I generally think if you look at really good teams they're on the headset and they're involved in decision making but they're they're not got the enormous call sheet and what mm. they're saying is can we run the ball a bit can we um, you know take control of this game and I think that's an important function and I think that we might come back to that conversation whilst discussing the games that's it I think you're uh, I think you're possibly right well we're moving away from the, uh, from, the from the coaching merry-go-round uh, looking at some at, at a, yeah, one particular player Le'Veon Bell um there's he, obviously he's uh, he's out of contract at the end of uh, at the end of this year. He's, there's rumours that he's going to be franchise tagged again. Uh, from he's, he's obviously franchise tagged at the, at the moment uh, with the with the Steelers. There's rumours he's going to be franchise tagged again, and he's he's said that he's going to consider potentially sitting 2018 out if that happened. Yeah, I have a little bit of sympathy for him in the um, running backs. It, you know, have such a short career compared yeah, to exactly. a lot of um, players now. If you're really, really good like Levy and Bell is, you're not necessarily just going to do the three years. But it's such a, an injury hit position, which yeah. doesn't 
generally um, you don't play much well beyond 30. You don't. It no. feels like you can understand why you want to make your money whilst you can. And yeah. as long as he can stay fit, then you know if he's prepared to sit out and make the market, then I guess more power to him um, in terms of taking on the injury risk. A big loss to the league, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Is it, I, I kind of tend to think that something will happen because... Um, we're having this discussion with Aaron Donald, who we were both advocating you should just give all the money Absolutely. to. Absolutely, uh, and um, he did end up missing two games. But you know, he sat out a lot longer than most guys who threatened to sit out. Uh, I think the real, the real test will be once we get into not even training camp, but you know, getting towards preseason, and uh, you know, when the game checks stop um, yeah. coming is when that players often relent because it is have a change of heart yes absolutely <laughs> but but I would not expect him to see many voluntary um, activities shall we say no I think I think you're possibly right I think you're probably right and uh, the other one we kind of mentioned this one uh, last week but it, uh, it obviously hadn't happened by the time we uh, we recorded the podcast but now we, we know what the uh, well certainly what they've, they've announced three of the, uh, of, the, of the NFL London matches personally I think they're going to end up announcing more just a feeling I think but uh, they've announced over over three consecutive weekends in October Seahawks Raiders uh, Eagles Jags and Titans Chargers some uh, well certainly Eagles Jags looks like a good game didn't it uh, yeah and you've got um, Seahawks rebuilding versus um, the Raiders yeah um, with John Gruden so that could be an interesting one and we won't know what state of Titans team will be when they come to play. I mean, charges are really coming together. So um, there's at least, there's sort of like three teams, four teams that I'd hang my hat on were going to be good and two really intriguing prospects as we look at it now. And we've sort of done this before with the London games and then the ones that we weren't sure about turned out to be really good and we've had, yeah. had you know, some lopsided things that were done. So we need to be a little bit careful and particularly as, you know, we should get blasé to the fact that, you know, there are live regular season NFL games happening in London, people. Absolutely, three of them. And, and it's going to be the, the first game in, in Tottenham's new ground as well. Yeah, and if memory serves, the only reason I, I wonder about if you are going to see the extra other games is because I think the deal at Twickenham was only for two seasons or for four games, and we've had them. So I, I do, I do wonder if they're taking the opportunity whilst they've got it to do a different yeah. switch round and doing. I think it's very, very telling that they're running three games consecutively because I think they're, I think they're heading towards putting more games in London, and this is like the next test: is can we keep filling in the stadium when there's no no weeks off between the games? At the same time, though, I believe the uh, the the, um, the agreement with the Tottenham ground was that there was going to be two a year there. Yes, but uh, um, given that it's not been built yet, I think they're they're giving them one game this year to sort of ramp up. Yeah, possibly. Possibly, possibly not a bad, uh, not a bad shout. Uh, they've, yeah, they've got a special pitch, haven't they? They've got a pitch underneath the uh, the, the the soccer football. But I hate calling it soccer pitch. <laughs> yes, um, a football pitch on top of a football pitch. But you know, we're sort of getting used to the idea of of sliding grass pitches. And I don't believe I'm not sure about the stadium whether it's going to be domed or not. And that's it's embarrassing. Not. I've got two, I've no, got two not. Tottenham fans in the uh, in the um, family. I should know about this. But um, it, it's uh, you know we've seen sliding pitches pitches now, so yeah, this is a 
a stadium that was designed with American football in mind. So, you know, that sort of shows the level of commitment that's going on here. It's been deliberately built with the extra extra locker rooms that the NFL need, I think are completely separate to the football stadium. So it's very much like a, a joint hosting yeah. venture. So, I, you know, I think this is going to be an agreement that's going to be here for years to come. And I will uh, resist all uh, urgent temptation to uh, mention Tottenham coming third in a two-horse race. Um, any, anything else before we, before we move on that's caught your eye? Um... I think that's it for now. Um, I'm sure things will come up as we go forward, but Probably. I think everybody's rightly being focused on the finish of a particular game. So let's slowly wend our way towards it. To the games. Right, four games this week in the uh, in the divisional round. We're uh, going to take a look, first of all, at the AFC games. Uh, first one is the Titans and the Patriots. Uh, it was the Tennessee Titans uh, making the trip to New England. They uh, they somewhat surprised the, uh, the Titans, that is, Somewhat uh, surprised the Chiefs last week with a, uh, a fantastic second half comeback, um, and it's led them obviously to uh, to, to play in this week the uh, the number one seeded Patriots uh, in divisional week. Um, they actually went ahead in the game. It, it finished the the Patriots won this one. It, it finished thirty five points to fourteen, um, but the the Titans did did actually go ahead. Yeah. The first quarter was sort of a cagey affair it where was. the Titans managed to keep themselves in it and then went ahead and then. <sighs> It sort of reminds me of the old thing, um, sort of associated it with the Manchester United teams of the 90s. I think Man City would be a good example now of, of like you score an early point goal and you anger the opponent and suddenly you end up losing 4-1. And it felt a little bit like that because the sort of the Patriots, I think, were knocking some, some of the rust of, of, of being on, on a bye week and were a little slow to come out. Mm. But once they conceded a point and got a handle on what was going on with the um, Titans' defence, they proceeded to then, like much more like the Patriots, drop 21 points in the second quarter and pretty much put the game away from there. And, and that was, that was, I suppose, helped by the fact that the Titans' O-line just could not stop Mariota from being sacked, could, it, could they? Yeah, I mean, the problem is a little bit that he does have a tendency to hold on to the ball. Mm. And, and early on, he was... Sometimes that's great. Sometimes that is, that's really good. When you've got, when you've got play, but when you, when you need a runner, uh, you need him to scramble, that's great. Yeah, but but it's it's it also opens up to being sacked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact, fact of the matter is, he, he's definitely looking much more effective as a runner. But some of the passing isn't quite there, and the timing's not right. And you can sort of see why Mark Malaki. I'll try that again. You can sort of see why Mike Malaki um, uh, was wasn't necessarily entrusted with and um, the continuing development of Mariota and this offense, given yeah. that it's sort of exotic smash mouth, as they termed it, seemed. It wasn't wholly bad. I've actually looked at this on coaching tape before, and it, but I don't think Mariota was necessarily developing um, how they would like it. And as you take one of the most dynamic college quarterbacks in recent years and stick him into a very traditional run-first offense, it, it seems like I think the GM wants to pick his own coach and, and wants to see have a more offensive-minded or at least a more... Um, I think he's looking at the example of what happened for the Chiefs early in the season yeah. and then the amount of college um, things that are coming into the NFL ga- game and thinking we should maybe get us some of that for um, the skill set of our quarterback. Mm. Uh, they, they couldn't really run the ball very much either, could they? No, which is... 
interesting when you consider how good Derek Henry looked last week, yeah. but shouldn't necessarily be that surprising when the Patriots tactic is always that Bill Belichick is going to sit down and he's going to make you play left-handed. And so if he's playing the um, Titans in their offense, the first thing he's going to do is I'm going to not let Derek Henry beat us and you're going to have to beat us throwing the ball or doing something else. Yeah, well, um, speaking of, uh, of, of throwing the ball, another, uh, it was another big game for Tom Brady, wasn't it? 35 completions from, from 53 attempts, 337 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, news just in, Tom Brady, good at football. You um, thought it. Yeah, uh, Danny Amendola went for over 100 yards, and Gronk did Gronk things without them getting him <laughs> injured. Uh, Dion Lewis was very effective coming out the backfield. It's all... The, what I think we've discovered over the recent years is that uh, with the Patriots, as long as they've got one of Edelman or Gronkowski... Tom Brady's going to be okay. Yeah, if they're yeah. both out, like what happened against against the Dolphins and they lost, things can go wrong and Brady can really struggle. But as long as he's got one of them, then that offense generally comes out on top. Mm, well, you, you say uh, Gronk did Gronk things. Bill Belichick did Bill, Bill Belichick things as well, didn't he? He doesn't. He's not one to to let let things drop, even when they're hugely up. Is he thirty five seven up? They were at one, <laughs> at one point in the fourth quarter, and he threw a challenge flag on a spot of the ball. Well, <laughs> it was clearly an important spot. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it didn't work out for him. They lost the uh, lost the challenge, and uh, they went on to uh, on on to, to score the Titans. But uh, yeah, throwing the it makes it just made me chuckle in the in the fourth quarter that he's throwing the challenge. Was flag. that was that an elaborate Easter kicker for even longer? I don't think it was. No, I can't. I can't remember the play it was on now. I'm just, I'm just. I feel like I'm going to have to go back back to the game now and just check that out. <laughs> yeah, it just just made me chuckle that he, he threw a flag for uh, for a spot of the ball when they were thirty five seven up in the fourth quarter. It's not, not <laughs> <laughs> very Bill Belichick. Uh, so uh, yeah, the Patriots are, uh, are, are going to the uh, the conference game. Their seventh consecutive conference game. We should uh, we should add. So uh, yeah, well well. Done it's almost the, like uh, they're a dynasty or something. It's, that'd be that's crazy. Yeah, crazy talk. Um, Second game in the AFC to uh, for the for the uh, the <laughs> lucky position of being able to play the uh, the Patriots in the conference game. Uh, it was the Jaguars and the Steelers. Now I went. I said last last week. I believe my exact uh, words were: "There's only one way this is going to go, isn't there?" And uh, yes, it did you jinx it? Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> I think I did. Sorry, yes, Steelers fans. Um, it was it was it was forty five points to forty two to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Just the eighty seven points in this one after a real kind of low scoring affair for the for the Jaguars beating the Bills last uh, last weekend. Twelve touchdowns between the two teams. I think we need to be careful because player football anything can happen. But the, the Jaguars defense is really good. But clearly. Um, Clearly, they have put, had some points put up by both Garoppolo and now um, and now Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. I want to be careful about this because there's very discussions going on, and I have a lot of respect for Mike Tomlin. But the Jaguars came came out much more focused and ready for this game, and the Steelers really seem to be suffering from that bye week. They they went twenty one nil down, did, and yeah. even though they scored a lot of points, a lot of it was relying on. Ben Roethlisberger either frying the ball well or improvising, and their receivers making some ridiculous catches. 
Yeah, there were there were some there were some amazing catches. It's a real good one for the highlight reel this uh, this game. But you, you mentioned Ben Roethlisberger. He made four hundred and sixty nine total passing yards, so he did all right. He certainly did his bit. Um, one hundred and thirty two of those went to Antonio Brown, one hundred and twelve to Vance McDonald. Some 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 big numbers. Yeah, uh, I mean, and even the interception was one of those ones where it, you know, it sort of bounced off a player, bit, then yeah. bounced up, and it yeah. it was an incredible piece of athleticism for the defence to get his feet down to, to sort of keep that interception but he was a little bit unlucky on that but just the seeds of, of what was going on with the Steelers and their attitude coming into the game sort of like when you open up the game against the Jaguars and you're throwing three straight passes and I'm sitting there thinking you've got Le'Veon Bell and if there is a weakness uh, um, on the Jaguars team it's their rush defence now the flip side of that is that yeah. they then came out tried to run the ball on the first first um, down of the next drive and pr- promptly got stuffed but I um, mean I I feel like that, that um, Bell coming out of the game with only 16 um, carries is, is a little worrying now equally he picked up um, sort of nine receptions and 88 yards in the passing game it wasn't like he wasn't a factor and I'm sure that some of that run ba- run pass balance is due to the fact that they were 21-0 down. But it just it doesn't feel like the game plan necessarily, and certainly the focus of the team was where it needed to be from the off. And this is sort of a criticism that we've had with Tomlin's teams at times in the past that they've sort of played down to their opponents. And I'm wondering how focused they were on this game and 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 how much. I can't think that they actually looked past them, and this is why I'm wary of speculation. But but things were not. I think basically that opening to the game lost them this game because you know they only lost by three points, and they gave up three touchdowns before they even really got going. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you, you're spot on there. I think if they'd if they'd got going a lot earlier, then it would have been it would have been the Steelers' game to lose. Yeah, I mean this this was this is one that I think is going to haunt um, Pittsburgh for a little while. I mean, and the other thing we ought to mention is one of the reasons their their defense was struggling is Ryan Shazier has been a big miss for them because because mm. apart from all the emotional impact, he was that that sort of king center um, fielder, uh, really fast linebacker that made a lot of their defense work, and it's it's not been the same since obviously since his injury against the Bengals. No, it, it hasn't. Um, the the Jags kind of took took advantage of it though, certainly in the in their running game. Um, Leonard Fournette uh, ended up with uh, with 109 total yards and scored three touchdowns in the game, but he, he did go out at one point with it with a uh, suspected ankle injury in the second quarter, didn't he? Yeah, he did a lot of his damage in sort of the first quarter and looked really good, and then hurt his yeah. ankle and wasn't quite the same, but did enough. I believe it or not, has had a car accident. Uh, oh, minor one, so I think he should be okay. But yeah, that that is a guy that's been in the wars in recent weeks. He certainly has. Well, although he he can say that he he's got more uh, touchdowns at Heinz Field this year than than Le'Veon Bell, which is amazing. That's just wrong. It is, isn't it? He's, he's got. It's only four. So Le'Veon Bell's not not been particularly prolific, shall we say? Uh, is that touchdowns total or rushing touchdowns? Uh, I think it's rushing touchdowns. Actually, yeah. I, I have a feeling because um, you know Bell had a, had a receiving touchdown in this one, and yeah. if memory serves, another another one of those crazy catches. You're sitting mm. there thinking he's a running back. You know, it, it, the thing was this was a really really good game, and you know, a part of like a really good Sunday double bill. Um, I, you know, when they're talking about the 
the figures viewing figures and as such in uh in the nfl over in america they seem to always forget to take into account um modern media and and the fracturing of what's going on with people call cutting and watching sort of online etc but also i think the ratings were probably good for these two football games on sunday i would certainly imagine so they certainly should have been because there was uh, there was some there were some excellent games well uh, it was it was the the second time this year that the uh, the jags have, uh, have beat the steelers um the steelers got close like, like you say they had a touchdown in the dying seconds but couldn't get the win uh, jaguars can continue their incredible turnaround season and they're uh, yeah they're not going to be i don't think they'll be chomping at the bit to face the uh, the patriots but they certainly sound confident in their uh, I I don't know. I have a feeling Jalen Ramsey um has already come out and said that um we we we've got like two games next. We're going to yeah. beat people and, and and be in the Super Bowl. And I'm paraphrasing because I can't use the precise language he used in the clip to fans. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. I mean, in the press, they've been very they've been very positive and very confident. So uh, I'm sure we'll. This we'll is shall... not a man short of confidence. And and, he's, no, um, he's not. I think I shall tease you with my lovely quote now because off the back of that, there's Tom Brady's been talking about, you know, it's not the Patriot way to, you know, people talk about it, but, you know, we let our actions on the field play. But I, I love this quote referring to, to Ramsey and what had been said by um, Patriot special teams captain Matthew Slater, who said on Monday, the good Lord made that guy and he said, let there be corner. And there he is. <laughs> Nice. That's, that's it. Not a bad review, is it? No. So you know, no matter what we think of Jalen Ramsey um, running his mouth, and he does seem to be one of those players, he is a pretty damn player, and can certainly at the moment back up what he's saying. Well, let's not let's not go too much into it because we're going to make a picks uh, in a in a little while. We'll uh, we'll move on to the next game, shall we? Um, let's take a look at the NFC, so the, uh, the the blue half of the uh, of the league. It was the, uh, the the Falcons and the Eagles in the first one. Uh, really, really good competitive game. The Falcons beat the Rams last week uh, fairly comfortably to make it through to, to this week to face the Eagles, who were fresh off their bye. Um, it was fifteen points to ten in the end uh, for the uh, to the Eagles. Really, really good game. I really quite enjoyed it, despite the fact it wasn't a huge scoring game. But uh, yeah, all, all the field goals, just but, all the field goals. Uh, well, um, yeah, as you as you know, I quite like uh, quite like the kicking game. But uh, yeah, the Falcons ended up getting all of their all of their points in the first twenty five minutes of play, didn't they? And then and then the rest of the game was just well, it was just Jake Elliott just showing what he could do for the Eagles for the kicker. Yeah, because you know it's great when you cut a um, a, a kicker that you've. Um, drafted yeah. for, for, for a veteran and watch him go be really good for the Eagles I'm not bitter about that at all I can imagine yeah I, I bet <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah it's been I have a lot of respect for what the Eagles have done this season anyway but there are, these were a team who came into this game as like the only number one ranked team um, coming into the playoffs ever to be the underdog at yeah, home yeah. but I, you know that's because Carson Wentz was injured but they put together a very good game plan in terms of running the ball and doing enough on offense they played good defense and the Falcons have been up and down all year and um, in this game they just couldn't keep it and sustain it on offense and we shouldn't take anything away from the Eagles on, on defense uh, but the um, it looks like Sarkeesian is going to be staying on as offensive coordinator and if you look at the sort of base stats it wasn't like they were terrible but it just feels like they should be doing so much more with the talent mm. and the options he's got on offense yeah it, it does it's a uh... Yeah, it's it's, it's not uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great result for the uh, for, for the Falcons certainly certainly not for their offense. 
No, and it, it's some of the red zone stuff, and you know, for, for a lot of fuss has been made about the um, fourth and goal try where they had uh, Matt Ryan run out to the side, and suddenly you've also so you've automatically lost like half the field, and you know there was another one in that four play sequence where uh, you had Julio Jones not just not being the target, which is understandable, but you know if he's not the main target, he should at least be a decoy because you know the man is amazing, and it's just. <sighs> It's never felt like it's quite run right. And that could be just that it's his first year in the job and he'll be much better next season. But given that last year, I like where the Falcons are going. And I, ha- I do, you know, I'm always careful about being overly critical about head coaches because they know a lot more about football than we do. Do they? Some do. They do. <laughs> but, you know, Dan Quinn is, is a head coach now. And, and this is sort of like the second season where at the end of a game you, you, you're not entirely sure about defensive play calling and I'm not suggesting that Dan Quinn as, as a defensive minded head coach should necessarily be you know telling saying exactly what should be happening but it, it's sort of like um, it, run the ball get it to Julio you, you know it, he should be there sort of determining how you know the overall scheme of what we're trying to do and run the ball mm. out and it just I, I generally like where the Falcons are going but, but I think it will be very important that their offence um, takes a, a bit of a step forward considering the players they've got. On the other side, looking at the uh, at the at the Falcons' offense, sorry, the uh, the Eagles' offense, um, people like Nick Foles, he showed himself he could be more than capable to perform on the big stage, and also Jay Ajayi. He only got fifty four running yards, but I, I, and I've seen a lot of Jay Ajayi. I've rarely seen him get so many yards after contact through the air as well from 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 catches as well. Yeah, it's it's an, an interesting one. I mean, Nick Foles did enough. He didn't look spectacular. But he didn't turn the ball over. He threw for um, well over 200 yards. And, mm. and you, you take that. I think of a, of a time when the Ajayi trade was made, there were a lot of people saying that, that felt like a bit of a luxury. You know, they, they've got Blount. They're, they're running the ball quite well. Why do they need um, Ajayi? And then you look at the, the season now with Carson Wentz going down, and boy, are they glad that they went out and got another running back mm. who gave them a little bit something a little bit different and, and that sort of big playmaker that they perhaps lacked in Blount, who's a very good sort of, you know, pound between the tackles runner. But... You know, suddenly, if you're having to rely on running the ball a lot more because your quarterback is down, it, it, it's in hindsight looking like a, quite a smart trade. Well, I, I think it was a good trade for them. I think uh, it's yeah, certainly given what they what they gave up for it. I think it was a, was it a second or a third? I think it was a third I round. It, I, I I was going to say second, but you, you yeah, know, it is your team, so I'll a, bow to your fandom. I, I think it was a third round pick because I think Garoppolo went for a second, didn't he? And uh, I was I was saying I can't believe that he'd gone for. Less well yeah. now I can. Um, <laughs> uh, well, the, uh, the it was it, I suppose looking at, again at Foles, he was he was lucky not to uh, not to throw that interception that bounced off of Falcon's knee, wasn't he? Yes, I mean, and you get those kind of bounces, and so it's why we need to be be careful because sometimes the the stats of other incredibly useful. We have yeah. to be wary of the sample size and the fact that one you know one bad bounce here or there can have a, a big effect on the numbers but um of course. he he seemed to play solid and given his performance sort of uh you know in the last couple of games it's showed that you know they'd obviously been working in those bye weeks and that he can do a job and bearing in mind that this is a pretty experienced for the NFL backup yeah he, he is definitely definitely and okay chip kelly did incredible things with him and and you sort of sit there and think boy did was that an incredible season but you know he is better than your average backup and I worry about him and, and next week and what's coming, but um, 
I, I think I would have said that regardless of who's coming in because as both defenses in our final game are pretty good. But he's not a disaster either, and so no. it is just curious that out of our um, sort of, it's just this season is not being as defined by quarterbacks as we would usually have. This is the season to that that focus that seems to be bene- uh, benefiting defences and I think that might come into play when we look at um, next week's games but um, is there anything else you want to talk about in this one? Not really no I think uh, it, obviously there was, there, was a, there was a real push for the, uh, for the Falcons to win it towards the end they got to sort of two yards from, from, from getting a touchdown but they couldn't quite make it in the end and they, they threw it I think uh, it was an interception uh, sorry not an interception an incompletion to, uh, to trying for uh, Julio Jones uh, but yeah couldn't quite get that, uh, that, that touchdown yeah, and, and red zone. I think one of the reasons that, that worries me with the Falcons' um, offense is something that, bizarrely, and sorry to be so Bengal-centric this week, I don't mean it, but one of the problems with Zampezi and why, why, what I think did for him was the fact that not only were the Bengals' offense struggling, but they weren't scoring points. They were, you know, mm. last season they was they were kicking lots of field goals and, and being bad in the red zone. And I think you need to be creative and precise because there isn't as much room and having a team that puts up lots of yards but not lots of points demonstrates that there's something wrong going on with your offense and and it just feels like things i think should improve or need to improve for the falcons next year because that that defense is getting really scary now yeah and the uh, the journey ends here now for the uh, for last year's super bowl runners up so uh, yeah we're going to be uh, saying goodbye to the uh, to the falcons this week yeah. and, uh... and and it has to be said in fairness whilst i've spent a lot of this time criticizing the, Fal- the falcons that um you know, for curse of a Super Bowl loser, for, for, you know, division round play playoff rounds, they, you know, they won a playoff game on the road. You know, not a bad season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, let's have a look at the uh, the final game. It was the uh, the Saints and the Vikings, uh, New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, more than one person I've heard describe this game as the best end to a playoff game that they've ever seen, and and who am I to argue? It ended up twenty nine twenty four to the Minnesota Vikings. I wrote this game up the other day, and I sort of read it back, and realised I thought all I've done is just just talked about just just ran through what to, what happened. It's it, the Vikings are through to their to the to the conference a week. Uh, they really did make it hard for themselves in in the second half. They took full control in the in the, in the first half, and they were uh, they, they were leading by seventeen at half time. Only the fifth time that Drew Brees has been shut out in the first half in his career. Yeah. Um... This is one of those games where where the lazy football journalist will talk about this being a game of two halves and talk about half-time adjustments. I think a lot of this is to do with the fact that Drew Brees is really, really good and you can only keep him down so long. There yep. were also... Um, the the Vikings had a concussion and and in their secondary and so there was a few players moving about but as much as anything Drew Brees is really good and when it became clear that they couldn't run the ball they went sort of back to the game plan like they did against the Panthers and we're going to throw the ball lots and it was a really entertaining game and we were saying last week that football was the winner and I think we were proved right absolutely it's made headlines over here isn't it certainly that fourth quarter it was I mean, it was the fourth quarter, uh, two Saints touchdowns and a field goal. Um, they were winning by a point with 25 seconds to go, thinking they'd won the game. It was it was all done and dusted, pretty much. And then uh, in the final drive, Case Keenum threw a 61-yard touchdown to Stefan Diggs uh, with no time left on the on the clock, and the Vikings went and won it by five. The win probability graph on um, <laughs> for this game on yeah. Pro Football Reference yeah. is wonderful. It's like... Creeping up Minnesota, 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 little wobble at the start of the quarter, and then start of the fourth quarter, and then this crazy up and down that like, looks place. like a heartbeat 
tackle yeah. <laughs> as it goes virtually to zero just before they score the amazing touchdown. And there's going to be a lot of talk about the um, safety who it seems was trying not to get called for pass interference but was the last man and so basically all he needed to do was stand there and sort of even if he couldn't tackle tackle him just hold him up long enough to get help but yeah. you know seemed to duck down as he as he tried not to get pass interference on Diggs and Rat took out the only other Saints player, player near him and suddenly Diggs and it was incredible awareness by him because I think the entire sideline was screaming get out get out but he sort of turned around saw space and just ran well, that's it. I mean, I've, as, as 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 much as I've heard this game called uh, the one of the best ends to a playoff game they've ever seen, anyone's ever seen. I've also heard the uh, that that slip in the final in that final play as one of the worst ever to happen in a playoff game. Yeah, I mean, that that one's going to be one of those that I think is going to be in packages, and that guy's going to have to live with it. Uh, the Saints, there was signs when the Saints team got in sort of you know you know being nice to the player so hopefully you know it's not like one of those toxic situations where the fan base turn on him yeah. and you know he'll have to learn from that and try and strap on him the only way he can sort of make amends to it is to um play well in the future but you know that's one that he's I think there's going to be a few sleepless nights for him I think there are it's a yeah it was a it was a hell of a game though like like we say it's 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 not often that the uh, the headlines over here are, are, are dominated by the uh, by by an NFL game even even after some Super Bowls there's not there's not much flying around but this one really there was there was quite a lot wasn't there yeah, there was. And uh, going back to that last play for a minute, because all the headlines is obviously about what happened with, with with that player and the amazing turnaround. What mm. we don't know is what the other 10 people were meant to be doing on that play. And given that basically you need to stop them getting a touchdown and you know keep them in bounds, the fact that there was nobody else behind him yeah, and you know, and he could have been making that play, thinking that there was, should have been a weak side safety behind him, and there wasn't help. You never. This is a difficulty with coaching tape and coverage: is that you can never be totally sure whose responsibilities is whose. And I doubt that they're going to come out and tell us. That's but it. It, what we got here was high drama of a type that, yeah, made enough shock waves that it was headlines over here as well. It definitely was. Well, the yeah, the Vikings are going to face the Eagles next week for placing the Super Bowl, but they uh, they won't have that loud home advantage. So it'll be uh, interesting. We'll have to see what. Uh, what happens there yeah and it's a real shame for the Saints who've had you know a hell of a turnaround season the good news is that you know hopefully the young players will continue playing well from next year on defence and, and let's fingers crossed that Drew Brees can come back and not look like a 40 year old quarterback as I think that's where he, he's going to be next year are you ready for some football Okay, well, this is the uh, this is the point where we'd normally have a look at the uh, the blog, but uh, it's yeah, it's been a very quiet week uh, this week on on the blog. Before we move on to the, and have a look at the, uh, the the championship games, Jay, is there anything you you're planning on the uh, on on the blog this week? Well, hoping that life will be a little um, um, uh, easier, and I had a work disaster last week, quieter, and things go according to the plan I'm hoping to have like a grand catch up of all the teams we've lost so far and I'm hoping to get some coaching tape I'm not sure what perhaps the Vikings defence against the Saints given that you know it'd be nice to know what changed between the first half and the second half mm. excellent well uh, that'll, that's obviously going to be uh, going to be up at thewrongfootball.com for uh uh, for you to uh, to take a look at during the week. So before we uh, have a look at the uh, the championship games, we're going to have a look at the uh, at, at some uh, a couple of extra points for you, uh, and they're both uh, well in keeping with this week's uh, this week's conference games. Um, so the first one for you is uh, is to do with the NFC. Every every team in the NFC has uh, has been to the conference title game, but which is the only team never to have won one? Oh, good grief! Hmm. 
I'm not cheating. I'm just looking. I'm just reminding myself of the NFC teams and looking for a hapless um, Cleveland Brown equivalent. And <laughs> I'm going to say the Detroit Lions. That's correct. Well done. Bing. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to make my own sound effects. Um, <laughs> second, second question then. Final question for this week. And I'm a bit annoyed that that last question didn't stump you more than uh, than it did. So I hope, I'm hoping this one's a bit more, uh, a bit harder for you. Um, which is the only team to reach both the NFC and AFC title games? Oh rats! That's a great question. Oh man, that's a good question. Ah, oh, because I'm trying to remember my history to remember who's come over. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this might be a long shot. I might be completely wrong, but um, the LA and then as was San Diego Chargers. No, it's the uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, they, yeah. Oh, they went the other way, didn't they? They did. They played. They went from from nineteen seventy seven to two thousand and one. They were in the AFC, and they uh, they switched to the NFC then. Do you know what fooled me on that one? What's that? Other than the fact that I just didn't know it and I wasn't I was trying to work it out, is because we'd already had an NFC team mm. and they were asking about about the other side, I immediately thought that it was a current AFC team that had come over ah, right. and I didn't even think about the NFC. But I'll be honest, I never have guessed it anyway. That that's a properly good stumping, that one is. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well let's have a look at the uh, the the the, uh, the games then this week. It's the uh, the conference week and we're uh, we're gonna start in the AFC. Um it's the the earlier game. The, I say earlier game. There's there's, only, there's they're, they're not particularly early. It's eight p.m. on Sunday. This one in the uh, in the UK. I don't know what time that makes it in the U, in the US. Can't be bothered to work it out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be taking a trip to New England to play the Patriots. I mean, I hesitate to use the term because I did it last week and it didn't work. But there's only one winner here, isn't there? Not necessarily. <laughs> Um, I'm hoping I played this a little bit last week because certainly I didn't get a chance to write it but I I was wary of writing I know we were favouring I think everybody to an extent was thinking that we'd get a a, a Steelers-Patriots championship game Yeah. but the thing about the Jaguars and particularly in this game is that we know that the way to beat the Patriots is to get pressure with four um, ups, you know, and be able to play coverage and the Jaguars have the players and the defence to do that Mm. What I, I don't know if the Patriots can run the ball enough and the worry is that Blake Bortles did enough in this game and the offensive scheme well enough to get him the wide open plays to to, to beat him but it, it's another team for Bill Belichick where he's got to stop the run game and dare a quarterback that is slightly questionable to beat him and I just I feel like the Patriots will win out in this one but I'm, I I don't think it's as clear cut as that because the Jaguars defence is pretty scary and mm. they're beginning to have that um, team of destiny look about them and so I expect the Patriots to win but I wouldn't necessarily put it past the Jaguars to cause an upset but it would definitely be an upset I think I think you're right it's a uh, it's, I mean if you if you look at the last sort of seven seasons the Jags Jags uh, have been 2011 they're the fifth worst team in the NFL fifth worst record in the NFL 2012 second worst 2013 third worst 2014 third worst 2015 fifth worst 2016 fourth worst 2017 they're heading to the uh, the AFC Championship game it's either way whether they win or lose it it's a hell of a story isn't it it's yeah and not only that but they consolidated that um the sort of wild card win by going into Pittsburgh and beating the Steelers mm. and 
that has to feel with some of the talk rooms coming out of both locker rooms before the game that 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 might become a bit of a rivalry if if the um, Jaguars um, stay um, this competitive next season. It, it, Quite possibly, had, you know, there was some big hitting going on at the start of that game, and certainly this Jaguars team don't seem to be lacking in confidence. No, that's it. Well, let's, let's have a look at the at the NFC game. Um, it's the the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, like I say, not having their uh, having their their massive home advantage which my dad attributes five points a game to um they're traveling to philadelphia to play the eagles that's on the uh the 20 to midnight game on sunday yes uh the vikings definitely have a above league average home field advantage and they i think are probably possibly the most complete team if you look at the roster and the way they're playing I think everybody is waiting for sort of the wheels to fall off Case Keenum, uh, you know, in terms of how well he's playing. And given what he did in that championship game, this should be really competitive. And I think I'm leaning Vikings because the Eagles, whilst the number one seed, you know, it comes back for Carson Wentz thing. And I think they can keep it close, but I just worry about the um, Eagles' uh, offense going against such a well-balanced defense. The Vikings' defense has been really, really good this season, mm. and it's sort of slightly strange to me that when we're talking about the best defenses in the league, you know, we talk about uh, um, the Jaguars, and you know, you know, we talk about various teams, and it doesn't feel like the Vikings necessarily get all the. Um, defensive credit that they deserve except in nerd circles where everybody's going look what Mike Zimmer's doing with this defence it's pretty amazing and yeah. I, I don't think you ever really get a bad Super Bowl in terms of looking at the match and going oh one team's definitely going to win this because the game changes it but um, I have to say the, the, the sort of the sexy matchup for a Super Bowl would be Vikings Patriots and watching Belichick and Zimmer go up against each other but I, I really hope that the, that the Vikings get through I really <laughs> hope they do it feels it it feels like it would be nice to have two teams in the Super Bowl without questionable quarterbacks. However, the Eagles have done incredible work, and I don't think anybody should underestimate them. And the Jaguars are a different kind of story. And we have seen teams with really good defenses and questionable quarterbacks win yeah. the Super Bowl in relatively recent memory. We have. I mean, it's it's going to be it's Foles versus Keenum this week, quarterbacks wise. And just something I picked up on Twitter uh, from uh, Zach Berman. I'll I'll, uh, I'll um, credit him for that. He's the uh, a, a writer for the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, mm-hmm. Eagles traded Nick Foles to to the Rams for Sam Bradford. Foles lost his job in St. Louis. Case Keenum takes over. Eagles draft Ka- uh, Carson Wentz. Uh, and trade Bradford to the to Minnesota Vikings. Sign Keenum, who replaces the injured Bradford. Foles returns to Philadelphia, replaces the injured Wentz, and now it's Foles versus Keenum. Yeah, <laughs> what, it, what, it, what, quite quite the story of, uh, of of mixed up quarterbacks there. Yeah, and it, it's both quarterbacks. It, it, it's strange. Both quarterbacks, not the name starter at the start of the season, but both yeah. have won a lot of games for for, for, for a backup and. Yeah, I don't think that's the story. I mean, it's a story in the Eagles' side of thing, but you know, they'll, their defense will need to continue to play well, and they'll need to do enough in the running game. But mm. I just feel like the Vikings are more rounded. But I'm really looking forward to both these games. So, what we call in a Patriots Vikings uh, uh, Super Bowl? I'm that would be leaning, and it's a little chalky, but that, I feel like that's how I'm leaning. But you know, almost no result would surprise me. I I tend to agree. 
I felt that one way up here. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you very much for listening. If you've liked what you've heard, please do remember to give us a like, a subscribe, and a review through whatever medium you procure your podcast. It really does help us to get into as many ears as we possibly can. This time next week, we are going to know exactly who's going to the big dance, and we'll be uh, taking a look at how their final step got them there by looking at the best action from conference week. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you check out thewrongfootball.com for more from the mind of G. And remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can either drop us an email to tdbfpodcast at outlook.com or find the G or myself on Twitter at RompFootball or at TWFDan. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next week. I'm just wondering if the loser of the picks competition has to watch the Pro Bowl this year. No.